You're listening to B2B Nation, a podcast from Technology Advice designed to help marketers navigate the modern B2B buyer's journey. Here's your host, Mike Pastor. It was estimated that companies were going to spend around $79 billion on search engine optimization in 2020. Although that analysis was done before 2020 became 2020. A $79 billion industry. Think about just how valuable that is. And then you can understand why alongside the SEO industry, we now have this parallel industry of websites, events, and classes that educate people on how to excel at SEO. I'm Mike Pastor from Technology Advice. In this episode of B2B Nation, we use the power of the internet to connect with Harry Sanders, who runs Studio Hawk, an award-winning SEO agency in Australia that is expanding into the UK. Not only is Harry young, but he's passionate about SEO and about sharing what he knows about SEO with digital marketers. Our conversation provides an interesting window into the evolution of SEO, where talk of keywords and header tags and all that stuff that dominated the discussion back when I first started diving into SEO is now being replaced by measures of intent, reputation, and expertise. We also had a frank talk about Google, which after all is the company that almost everyone in the SEO industry is trying to figure out, and which offers tools used pretty much universally, but also elicits concerns about data collection and privacy. Like a lot of $79 billion industries, SEO has a lot to unpack. Have a listen. Harry Sanders, thanks for joining us on B2B Nation. Why don't you take a minute or two and tell us who you are and what you do? Thank you, Mike. Um, Yeah, Harry Sanders. I run a company called Studio Hook, uh, which is the largest specialized SEO agency here in Australia. We've got 26 staff here in Oz and three in London as well. Uh, and I also uh, head up this new platform called Hawk Academy, which is designed to guide and educate people coming into the industry. Uh, and so it's been a fun journey. I've done that over the past five years, starting from absolutely nothing couch surfing around Melbourne to this point where we now have a, a $5 million kind of companies well, companies um, that are going really well. And I'm just 23 years old. You've accomplished a lot. This is the part where those of us who are older think about where we were at 23 and go, oh boy, what did I do wrong? <laughs> so we did, a, we did an episode recently about small online marketing for small businesses. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we talked about there was this sort of promise of the internet for small businesses that mm. you could extend your audience because geography wasn't so much a limiting factor anymore. You could sell Mm. online to people who weren't in your neighborhood, weren't in your town, or even your state or province. There's a similar promise with the internet and entrepreneurship. You don't Mm. need the startup costs, right? You don't need to have a physical location. You need a brain and some sort of device that can connect to the internet and you can do a whole lot of things. You're part of a generation that kind of always had the internet as its disposal. So I guess my question for you is, do you ever think about whether you'd be an entrepreneur in a different time? Do you think that you have like an entrepreneurial spirit or how big of a role did the fact that the internet was there and you could use it to Mm. become an entrepreneur play? I I think it played a massive part for me. I mean, I mean, speaking from someone from a more disadvantaged background, I, I wouldn't have had capital to put into a product. I wouldn't have had capital to do anything. 
um, you know, I was, <laughs> I had literally nothing. So without the internet, without the ability to do that stuff, absolutely, there's, there's, there's no doubt in my mind that it would have been near impossible for me to do what I do today. Putting the whole SEO is just on the internet thing aside. Um, I think in terms of an entrepreneurial spirit, I've always had something resembling that, whether it was as a little kid, I would, you know, sell lollies or whatever it was to other kids and, and realize very quickly that you can easily take what you have. And as long as other people want it too, you can distribute it to them more than you want it. Um, so, I mean, in small part, there's a little bit of that, but in a large part, it is that convenience of growing up around computers and the internet my entire life. So to get to, let's get into SEO. So you have the SEO industry, right? We've got people like you yep. who help clients get noticed, drive traffic, hopefully quality traffic that can become yep. customers. You have this whole other industry that's grown alongside SEO, which is the websites and the conferences and the blogs about SEO. So mm. what are your favorite resources out there for people who want to dig in and really educate themselves about SEO? There's so many conferences. Uh, there's definitely some massive ones. Like if, if you're in the UK, Brighton SEO is just uh, one stop st spot for everything that you could possibly need to know SEO. It, it is very advanced. So the thing with these con uh, conferences and like is they really go deep. Like when I'm going up and I'm talking about um, a methodology we created called Dirty SEO, which is, you know, not as fun as it sounds. Um, it's, it. It is uh, generally a more tech-inclined audience, and there we're not talking so much about the foundations. It's very much pie in the sky kind of theory crafting of SEO. Often, uh, we, you know, I have gone through a lot of different SEO resources and training and, and things uh, as part of you know us putting together ours. Um, I, I think the biggest thing when it comes to that is just finding someone that actually does it practically. You know. We would do it for over 300, 400 clients now. And the difference is when you do it for one or two people or you're just kind of theory crafting, it's a very different thing to when you're actually doing SEO and you actually need to learn these different fundamentals. I always say SEO isn't rocket science, but there's def different specialties and disciplines within it. And you need to understand the fundamental pillars of SEO if you're going to do anything. All right. So I think you piqued a lot of people's interest when you mentioned dirty SEO. So I think at this point, I can't let you go without explaining. What <laughs> yeah, people love the dirty SEO. Dirty SEO is about, you know, we spoke about those foundations. It stands for delivery, infrastructure, relevance, and trust, right? So not quite as uh, sexy as some people might be coming into this thinking. But if you're in digital marketing, then maybe I have really piqued your interest now. But it's really about laying these foundations of um, technical, which is, you know, your page speed, the different things on your website that fall under that delivery uh, and the infrastructure part of how your website works. Then it talks about backlinks. So that trust part. So other websites in a similar niche with good authority linking to you. And then the search intent, right? So that's the relevance. Are you relevant to what the person's looking for? So we've got this whole framework that we've done up um, on our site. Uh, you can kind of download and peruse, but it is, it's a different take on covering up these different pillars and all the new things that are emerging in SEO in one, you know, easy, dirty SEO acronym. I think as a, as a person who kind of came in from the content side and got into marketing, I think a lot about 
I don't want to say the old stuff, but the traditional SEO, the keyword density. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The header tags and all that stuff. And I know there's all this more technical stuff out there, mm. but it's a lot of times if you're on the content side, it's not even always something you can control because how much control do you have over those aspects of your site is, is sometimes yeah. in your hands, right? That's exactly right. And that's why like one of the free videos we have in that training center, like completely free, don't need anything is called myths and misconceptions. And it just covers off those things like keyword stuffing, like um, keyword density, all those different things and that have happened and built up over the years of people, you know, may, maybe have been true in the past, but have definitely been disproved and massively detrimental now you know, we give these different foundational things and every time we send someone through it, they're like, man, I didn't know that that was a myth. Uh, and so it can be good for people that are getting into it. So you bring up a good point because SEO, like a lot of industries and like a lot of marketing is one of those things where it's, it's a moving target. You're never there. Mm. You always mm. have to learn. So you mentioned your Hawk Academy. Um, yeah. Why don't you go ahead and, and tell us what that's all about and what you offer there? So Hawk Academy is my way of giving back for all the SEO stuff that we've been doing. Uh, a lot of people ask us if, if this is going to be like a massive million dollar product. It's a great product. It's designed to educate the market. Our biggest problem in SEO to be completely transparent is people have no idea what it is or how it works. Right. And that sounds great until you have a bunch of clients that have no idea what it is or how it works. <laughs> so what you need to do and what we've kind of taken it upon ourselves to do is we've, we've reached a size in the market where we've realized, you know, if we want to progress a lot further, the best clients we have are the clients that understand, really understand SEO. Not only are they the best in terms of their communication, but in terms of their results, they crush it because they just do those little things and they don't uh, undo the work we do. So part of that is we wanted to create this platform called Hawk Academy for our clients. And as we were building it out, we realized it was also good for our training, for our new juniors coming on, right? Because we could train our new juniors on how to do this stuff. So we put all our SOPs and processes and workshops in this, in this uh, center. And then at one point, we really thought we should actually open this up to the public and we should make it really cheap. Like we've, we've just gone with $40 US for like the basics and 300 for like everything. Instead of, we could have charged thousands for this stuff and maybe I probably should have, but that's neither here nor there. But it is really good because we cover it off into these different sections. So unlike most courses where it just gives you a list of all the different things you can do, we have this big approach to guided learning. So we have this dashboard. Of course, if you want to go down, you know, you already know SEO and you just want to explore these different things, go for it. Otherwise, go through this guided kind of dashboard where we walk you through and tailor it to each person. So an example might be you come through, Mike, you, you go through the fundamentals, the myths, and then you get up to analytics and you're like, oh, I, don't, I actually already know Google Analytics. I'm just going to do the search console one. And you go further and it says, um, do you have a blog specific website, an e-commerce, a service-based or a local business kind of website? And it will kind of branch out this pathway for you. And you go, no, I've just got the blog. I don't need to do all this other stuff. So all these courses out there are trying to jam all this knowledge down your throat. And we've tried to go, what's the easiest, you know, can we teach people fundamental SEO in like six hours, eight hours, even though there's 22 hours worth of content, can we teach them what they need to know? quickly. Yeah, that's great. I think that the guided and personalized learning, again, that's another, we talked about promises of the internet, right? And the ability mm. to have 22 hours, but pick the six that are most relevant for you uh, is that's a, that's a very internet ex type of experience, no doubt. 
exactly right and so we've had like you know farmers go through if it e-commerce people go through we just had the i don't know if you guys have uniqlo over in the us but yep uh some of their e-commerce teams just gone through it and you know great feedback it's just funny that you can have like a team like uniqlo go through it right and then like a, a farmer in western australia going through it and they're all getting the same knowledge so i mean that's very exciting to me i, I love the idea of more people learning about seo it's a big passion right. of mine have you heard, have you gotten feedback? We talked a little bit about misconceptions, right? And the keyword mm. density and all the people that used to pack. Remember people used to use the invisible text, the same color. As the yeah. Oh, I love that one. Have you heard like, what's the biggest myth? What, what have you dispelled maybe the most for people? Man, the biggest myth that I've dispelled the most. I honestly think it would be how people use keywords. I think it's just such a common one. Everyone's like, I got to put my keyword on as much as possible. I got to do that two to 3% density. Or the other one would be backlinks. If I had to think of another one that, that wasn't mentioned, like people are just like, bro, backlinks are easy. All I need to do is go on Fiverr. I get 50,000 and I'm set. And, and so they go out and do that. And then those 50,000 backlinks are garbage and get them penalized in Google. And, and so there's these myths around, you know, oh, it's all about the number of backlinks you get when really you can get two really quality backlinks and that's worth an infinite number of bad backlinks. Do you ever think about the fact that you could wake up next week and Google could change its algorithm and you may have to redo a whole bunch of that training? <laughs> yeah, well, we, we often do think about these things and algorithm, algorithmic changes that we talk about. To be honest, most of the stuff, a good SEO specialist should be focusing on the fundamentals because the fundamentals are what make you rank and are what move the needle. So Google very much, there's two different pathways that people go down. You can either go down the Google pathway or go down the anti-Google pathway. And both are valid and, and um, possible. I think the best approach is to do a little bit of both. So Google really wants people focusing on content and search intent, which is obvious. And they're really heading in that direction. So make sure you're doing that. But on the other hand, we know that quality backlinks really move the needle. So go ahead and do some of that either. If Google ever were to figure out a way of doing away at the backlinks, which, you know, I'll TLDR it, I don't think they will, then you're still covered off with the search intent stuff. So it's just about diversifying your risk like you would in any kind of marketing or investment strategy. Well, since we're talking about Google... Let's pretend no one's listening. And I swear that's yeah. not the case. We've got a worldwide audience, UK, Australia, US. What do you really think about Google? And I'm what a do I really guy think myself, about Google? Right? I'm an, I have yeah. an Android phone. I've got Gmail and I'm in marketing. Yeah. So I am under no illusion, right? Google yeah. is very elemental in my life, but I recognize the, what someone called the dark side, the data yeah. collection, the privacy concerns. Yeah, uh, 100%. Google? Look, I, I'm conflicted in my views about Google. Uh, I do a lot of work with uh, the Australian Consumer Goods Guide in ACCC, we, we call it here, which is a government body and that they famously had this massive call into question of Google recently in Australia. Um, I also have done contractual work for Google uh, as someone on the inside. So I think coming from those two different perspectives, from someone that's worked within Google, they're, the way they treat these things is phenomenal. Like they had two rules that I got told when I had my buddy at Google. When I came in, they said, there's two kinds of jokes you can just never make. You can never make a joke about people's data. Like, cause you see a lot of it, you work through a lot of it. I was in, involved in ML, like some machine learning stuff with the, uh, some of the algorithm back then in Sydney. 
And so they say you never joke about the data and you never joke about leaking proprietary Google information. And those are two things that will get you on the spot fired. So I respected that they took that privacy so seriously. And in, in these data centers, they would pat you down and search you before you even entered a place where you might be able to see unobscured user data, which is which was cool. Uh, on the other hand, you know, I can't talk too much about the projects that I did there, but a lot of it was dubious uh, at, as to how we were using that data. You know, while it was anonymized, it was all in the interest of providing the user a better experience, but it really got deep, really deep into the user's browsing and preferences. Things like, you know, serving adult ads if we think that that person's in this cluster with other people that enjoy adult ads. And so it, it's very much decentralized from one person a person is not really interesting at all to google they, they like this concept of clusters and they cluster these people in like mike you would be in this cluster with a bunch of other people that google thinks are just like you they have your interests your common beliefs and they show you the stuff they like and they show them the stuff you like um which is a really cool way though creepy in terms of as an organization eh, you know it's even harder to comment. They've got all this power, but no one's really controlling them. The uh, the American marketing podcaster cluster is, mm. is, uh, is that's very it. That's where you're at. Yeah, that's where I am. So in the world of search, we've heard mm-hmm. quite a bit about voice search mm-hmm. and some of the advanced natural language processing lately, mm-hmm. which kind of goes hand in hand with the voice search because we talk differently than we type mm. in most cases. There's a lot about uh, social media marketing, certainly in this country this year, social media has made all sorts of headlines <laughs> more negative than positive, I would say. Yeah. What do you think is flying under the radar? Is there anything that you see that could play a big role in how people market their business online, either with search or with social, that maybe isn't getting the attention mm. it deserves? Yeah, I see a lot of that people's sentiment to, to social changing or these things changing. I, I think the biggest thing flying under the radar is something so unsexy that that's why people don't want to talk about it. And it's brand. It really is brand and trust behind a brand. Google wants to see trust. They want to see accreditations. They want to see awards. They want to see associations you're a part of. That's trust. But that's also brand. So what, what makes your brand different? What makes your brand stand out? Um, that's not how much you spend on social media necessarily. That's not how much SEO you're doing as well, although that does correlate a lot with your brand, but it really is how do I elevate my brand? And you see this with all the most successful companies. They've really taken that brand to another level, whether they're startups, whether they're you know established brands, it really is how do I make that more credible, more important, more trusted, so that people want to work with me rather than my competitors. How do you think Google is going to measure brand value and things like accreditation that you mentioned? I think, uh, look, people can fake resumes, right? So yeah. how, do you, how do you know that somebody got this award or is part of this organization or this trade group and things like that if you're a search engine? Yeah, very, very good question. And man, I love this. And I don't want to nerd out too much over this, but Google has filed a lot of patents really uh, recently around um, this concept of entities. So an entities could be a brand, it could be a person, because a person can often be a brand, and a lot of the NLP stuff around that. So they can basically use machine learning to crunch, okay, I've got Walmart here, 
what are the kind of things Walmart does? Okay, now I've got this small company fridge to you, right? It's a made up brand. What similarities do these have in common, right? And I can crunch all the brands in the history and, and look at all their stuff in Google and then figure out what they have in common. Great, now I've got these list of parameters. I wanna make sure all these brands follow these things. Brands should have these kind of links from industry bodies. They should have these kind of things. And so that's how they look at entities. And they use they do it the same way as they do everything else. And it's backlinks is the honest truth of it. They're gonna look at the authority uh, of the sites that are linking to them to boost that um, credibility. But then they're looking at things like authorship pages. If you have a blog, they wanna see who the author is now. And they wanna see, does that author write on other blogs? Is that author a generalist or a specialist on one subject? Does that author have any creditations to speak of online in their author bios? That's the way Google's really moving to this concept of entities. And that's a good thing too, because it's gonna strengthen the experience for everyone and good SEO people, good brand people, really good anyone should be working on those assets uh, facets anyway. Yeah, so I take a few things out of that. One, if you're a small business, those industry associations, those trade groups mm. or whatever, might be worth, might be a little more value to those these mm. days if it's going to help your SEO, right? If you can mm. uh, prove that you are associated with this group or, you know, this association. Number two, stop publishing your blog posts with the author as guest author. Yeah, um, definitely. Unless Google starts seeing so much guest author that it says, hey, this guest author knows. Yeah, me. man, this guy's popular, he, this guy's huh? everywhere. <laughs> and number three, those, those kind of author bios and author descriptions that people, mm. you know, sometimes do one sentence, right? But you've got advanced degrees. You've got some sort of honor award one or whatever um, that can all speak to your expertise and your specialty. A hundred percent. That's a big thing that we talk about in, in like blog, like the blog specific section of SEO. And it's something we do well, with massive publications here in Australia. The biggest thing they, they won an award for, they won the search award for best blog um, in the Australasia region region. And you know what they did? They built out author bios and author pages for everyone and their traffic literally doubled. And we're not talking, Oh, they got an extra 2000 sessions. They got an extra 50 million sessions just from having authorship wow. bios. So we know this stuff works So make sure you're building out your authority. Cause that's what makes you different from Joe blow up the street who has a landscaping company, but never blogs, never puts himself out there. And, and then you've got, you know, Mike over here, who's got this great blog, great resources. He does some speaking gigs. He's got some awards for the work he does. Who do you think Google's going to show? You know, I put my content hat on and as, as someone who's worked as an editor for years, mm. so the price of content has plummeted, right? But if mm. I were a freelancer and I were out there commiserating about <laughs> how little people mm. are willing to pay for content, mm. quality content by someone who's got the stand got the accreditations, got the the awards, the honors, the society memberships, the whatever is worth it. And then it, you, you may, yeah, it's worth it for you to charge more for that content. I guess extremely valuable if you own your niche. Like if you're a legal writer and you're a lawyer yourself and you have accreditations, triple your rates because believe me, in the future, people are going to seek out that expertise because you're going to own that field and write about things in that field, and Google's going to recognize your name but find a way to kind of niche down into those areas that you can really own and talk about. You can see that's what Google wants to see. They want to see experts in law. They want to see experts in health. They want to see experts in these different places. They don't necessarily want to see someone that's an expert in all of them. Sorry, guest author. So, 
the question we have asked every guest on B2B Nation this year, what are the favorite tools that you use to do your job? The things you just can't work without? Yeah, yeah. Um, man, there actually is so many tools that I think we use now, Mike. It, it, it's, it, it feels like it's just tool after tool after tool. I'm, I, my favorite tool at the moment, steering away from like your Google and stuff would be something called Monday. Um, and it's like a project management thing. I always describe it as Excel on steroids. Uh, I'm obviously a bit of a nerd. I don't know if you picked up, but I like my Excel tables, my Excel spreadsheets. So I love this tool called Monday because I can literally use it like Excel, assign tasks to people, automate it, integrate it however I want. And it's easy to pick up, incredibly flexible, um, but it's basically how we run like a lot of our operations of Studio Hawk just on you know, task management. So I don't think I could live without that. And if I didn't mention that tool, I'm sure my team would kill me. <laughs> and and, and web-based tools, of course, which worth their weight in gold, uranium, whatever this mm. year, as people never really knew where they were going to be working from. That's it. Um, That's it. Allowed us all to kind of make it through in a business sense because we could just log on and have the same tools we would have had if we were in the office. No difference. Exactly right. And and you know, special mention to another tool called Semrush. Uh, obviously, a very SEO tool. But I, I'm seeing random people on trains and trams with Semrush now, Mike, that are pulling up websites or doing it for their blog. So it's amazing to see how SEO has grown from this very specialized industry to anyone that has a blog is doing SEO. Everybody's out there trying to get the eyeballs. Oh, That's Harry it. Sanders, thanks so much for appearing on B2B Nation. We'll have to do it again sometime. Thank you so much for having me on. That's Harry Sanders, who runs Studio Hawk, an award-winning SEO agency from down under. From up above, I'm Mike Pastor from Technology Advice. Thanks to my colleagues Amy Dunn, Sarah Wingate, and my partner in podcast crime, Emily Whalen. We'll catch you on a future episode of B2B Nation. Here's our theme song to take you out. It's composed by Mnemonics and the Guild.